Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford, step it up. Throwing left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown, Lions. Hello and welcome to episode 90. This is the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Deal Dash, NFL Sunday Ticket, and Bet Online. Check out all the ads for those products when I have the ad rates. So we're going to start today's show a little bit differently just because today is a little bit of a different day. And I'm going to get to, obviously, the news of the Big Ten Impact 12 postponing their seasons a little bit later. We'll probably hit that after the break. And I'll get into some of what Matthew Stafford said on Tuesday after the break and also an ESPN article that came out uh, that said the Lions were the top team potentially to go from worst to first for the second straight year. Obviously, that didn't go so well last year. Again, after the break, but I want to start off talking about a story that's going to appear on ESPN.com today. It's a story I've been working on probably since the beginning of COVID in March, maybe late March, beginning of April been a bit of a piecing it together and I'm really excited that it's coming out and hopefully you will find it and enjoy it as well. It is about the lost letters of Barry Sanders and we'll have Barry Sanders on here for a couple of minutes in a couple of minutes to chat about the letters and chat a little bit about the story and if you remember a couple weeks ago Barry came on the podcast and talked a whole bunch about some other stuff and I encourage you to go back and find that podcast because Barry was very intriguing and insightful on that show but here he's specifically talking about the project that I was working on that he helped me out with so basically it was this about probably starting in 2004-2005 up until oh 2009 I would say Maybe 2010, there's a straggler in there. There was a bunch of letters, and no one knows, uh, through my reporting, I wasn't able to find out how they got to the place they got. But a bunch of letters were written to Barry Sanders, many of them addressed to the Pontiac Silverdome, where obviously Barry Sanders no longer played. A lot of them, I think, probably were from teachers who didn't realize the Lions moved at some point in the 2000s and had an old book to send, you know, autograph requests for students. And obviously the Silverdome address was in there instead of a Ford Field address. Uh, Maybe that's how that happened. But a lot of these letters were addressed to the Silverdome. Some were not. Some were addressed to Ford Field. Some 
whatever were just addressed to Barry Sanders and somehow got to the team's practice facility in Allen Park. But they all ended up, and no one really knows how or when, but they ended up in a box. And they were in a storage closet inside Allen Park for no one knows how many years. It could have been four years. It could have been five years. It could have been eight years. could have been a decade, potentially. Uh, no one really seems to know through all the people I talked with, some of whom are quoted in the story, some of whom are not. Uh, there are a bunch of people I, I talked to for the story that ended up not making the piece. But essentially, these letters were in a box until 2018. And Brandon Scott, who's an employee for the Lions, was searching for something else and found these letters in 2018 and eventually reached out to Barry Sanders' people and told them, hey, guess what? We have these letters that were addressed to Barry Sanders 10, 15 years ago. Uh, what would you like us to do with them? And they, Barry's people basically said, give them to us because we want to respond to his fan mail. So that's what happened. Barry eventually got the letters and then during the pandemic, all of a sudden, everybody had a bunch of time, and these letters were probably sitting for about a year, and Barry's agent, J.B. Bernstein, told me that that was his fault, that it took a little bit longer. But Barry Sanders decided that, hey, I'm actually going to respond to all of these letters. Now, I've seen all of the letters. The majority of them came from kids, 10 years old, 11 years old, 9 years old, 8 years old, who are now adults. And what I did for the story was I actually tracked down some of these letter writers, and I encourage you, obviously, look at the story on ESPN.com. Uh, it was a really fun story to tell. And talk to some of the letter writers about why they wrote to Barry Sanders, how their letter never got to Barry until now, but that, hey, guess what? Barry Sanders now has your letter. And kind of what Barry is going to do now. Some of them don't know. Some of them do know. Probably talk, I ended up talking to, I think, about six or seven of the letter writers. We used, if I remember correctly, five or six in the piece. Uh, I really encourage you to check it out on ESPN.com. It was just a really interesting story. And as you'll hear in a couple of minutes, or really in a couple of seconds, this is my interview with Barry for at least part of it. Barry and I talked much more at length for the written story, but... Barry took a couple more minutes to talk to me for the podcast about what getting those letters meant to him and also what it was like to know that there were letters lost in time from 15 years ago that he was just reading over the last few months. So Barry, you're back here again for the second time on the podcast in not that long. You've, the project that we have talked about and that I worked with you on about your lost letters came out today. I'm just kind of curious, what was it like for you to see those letters from kids 15 years later? Oh, well, for me, it was kind of a surprise. Um, and, and um, you know, just to see the devotion of, of the fans. Um, but, you know, that they had gotten lost. And, and um, you know, I wanted to really just try, try to reach out to them and see what I could do to to help um, or to make up for it, I guess, you know, but, uh, but I, I was, I was really just shocked and, and um, I guess some disappointment that it, that much time had passed, um, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Was there one letter when you read through them that you were like, wow, I totally would have responded to this letter if I had gotten it back in the day. Because it made me laugh. 
Oh yeah, I mean, gosh, uh, there, there were probably probably several of them like that. Um, you know, and I, and I struggle to remember the details of all the letters, but um, but there, I, I think there was there was more than you know one or two that I felt like yeah. I mean, you know, I definitely would have got back to these folks um, had I had I gotten this a long time ago. I don't I don't I don't I'm not able to get back to everyone, um, and I have people help me, you know, with with letters and things like that. Um, you know, but, but, uh, I have some pretty devout fans. I would say, so when, because people are going to be receiving something from you that, you know, they might've thought they would have gotten when they were 11 or 12 years old. What's that like to send stuff out now to adults who wrote to you when they were kids? Well, you hope, you hope that, um, they'll be receptive. Um, and that, uh, you know, that they still are fans, um, you know, and obviously, and obviously uh, they're, they're writing these letters when they're much younger. Um, and, um, and hey, hopefully they're still Lions fans. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, but, um, but yeah, so it's really, uh, it's, you know, it's really in that spirit that, you know, you realize a lot, a lot of time has passed, um, you know, that they probably moved on. Um, but, uh, maybe this will, uh, you know, this will allow them to, to realize that, you know, it's been a long time, but we hadn't, hadn't forgot about them. Um, and that's, it was important for me to be able to write back to them. Barry, thanks. I appreciate it. No problem. So that's what Barry had to say. And like I said, I think it was a really interesting project. It, the amount of awe and flabbergastedness that happened when I reached out to some of these individuals was, they couldn't believe it. I had one person legitimately say, no, there's no way I wrote that letter. And then I asked him, hey, wait, did you live at this address? And he was like, yeah, that was my address growing up. Then I was like, yeah, you wrote that letter. Do you want me to read it to you? And he was like, yeah. And midway through the letter, and this 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 person was, I don't know, 10 at the time. I think he was 10 or 11. He was like, oh my God, yeah, that was me. I wrote that letter. I can't believe that you found that. He had some misspellings in it. It was funny. Uh, another letter I really enjoyed, which is in the story, uh, was from a uh, service member serving in Iraq. And he wrote Barry basically explaining how they were having a contest that he doesn't necessarily remember even having. He said he might have just thrown it in there to try to get Barry to write him back. And that he explained kind of what he went through in the service and in during one of his tours. And, and you can see that letter on ESPN.com as well. And there are some other letters that I'm not sure if they're going to end up on the website or not. But one person wrote to Barry about seven or eight times in the hundred and 50 or so letters that were in there. And honestly, like each one was different. So it was literally not the same one sent to me over and over again in a PDF. They were different letters. There was a woman who I just wasn't able to get in touch with from Canada who wrote that she was writing to Barry because her uh, fiance was had cancer and they weren't sure if he was going to survive. And Barry Sanders was his favorite player. And could she get something for her husband. And there were a bunch of letters like that. Like, can, can you get me something for my grandson, for my granddaughter? Can you sign this football? Can you do something for my parents' anniversary? 
uh, there was actually a letter in there about Barry Sanders asking him if he would invest in a, I think it was an assisted living facility or a nursing home. And like laying it all out for him over a couple of pages, uh, I did some Googling. It turns out that place opened anyway, but they asked Barry. There were people asking Barry if uh, they could help him out fi- financially and all all these crazy things. So if you ever wondered what fan mail looks like for a megastar like Barry Sanders, this is an idea, a sampling of what they get on a daily basis. It's the Lost Letters of Barry Sanders, and hopefully you'll check it out over on ESPN.com. And we'll be back with talking some football right after this break. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over a thousand auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or that item, guess what? It's yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use your offer code ROTHSHOW or DealDash.FM backslash ROTHSHOW. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M backslash R-O-T-H-S-H-O-W. And Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and your favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Now, back to our show. So, as I said before the break, uh, let's get into... Some other football-type stuff. Let's start with Matthew Stafford. He talked today for the first time since his false positive. He actually said he was kind of glad that the false positive happened to him and that it happened early because it forced some change within the NFL. It forced them to change their protocols because he knows that, yeah, it was going to happen at some point to somebody. So while it put a little bit of fear in him and there was obviously some concern, it ended up being nothing with nothing, which ended up being comfortable for him once he kind of realized, hey, I'm asymptomatic, took a negative test, the family was all tested, and they all tested negative. So he he was more okay and said, well, this causes change, so that way it doesn't happen in the future. I'm mildly okay with it. And here's one of his quotes. Quote, I know everybody is doing the best they possibly can. I'm glad it happened to me at this point, and the league is trying to change and make sure it doesn't happen again. But I'm sure there's going to be another problem down the road at some point that we're going to have to figure out when we get there. That's the way it's been for the last six months. We've all been living it, whether we're a league trying to test thousands of players or just trying to go out and get our groceries. So we understand things are going to change and we're going to have to adapt, but I'm glad it got settled, glad it's over with, and I'm just happy to be in the building, hanging with the guys, getting a little bit of normalcy back when it comes to football. So... That was really where Stafford stood on that. Stafford said he never seriously considered opting out, that he and Kelly and their family did talk about it because obviously Kelly did have her own medical issues a year ago and they have a newborn at home and obviously the the COVID false positive scare. But 
Stafford wanted to play football. His family was behind him. So it really was never something he seriously considered, which not surprising if you know Matthew Stafford, but was probably a conversation that they had to have and that every NFL family has to have at some point. Interestingly, Stafford said that they are going to send their kids to school if there is in-person school this year. He said it's because, quote, Kelly wants them to interact with other kids. He said that, you know, he can't imagine Kelly having the virtual learning. He saw his sister and Kelly's sister have to do it on their own in the spring when they were, I'm assuming, down in Georgia. He saw that and I'm guessing it probably told him, hey, we don't want to mess with that, especially during a football season. So that's going to be interesting, too, because I would imagine they're going to take a lot of precautions when the girls, because it would be the twins who would probably be going to school at this point, go to school. And otherwise, he says he's healthy and he's ready to go to kind of build off what he was doing last year in Dower Bubba's offense. And we'll see, obviously, what happens there. And that's kind of, I think, the next question for Matthew Stafford. And we'll start to see him out on the field on Monday when we're able to get our first look at training camp and I mean, if you don't think that's going to be something that people are watching intently, you're wrong. That's going to be one of the main things that I'm watching on day one of camp is how does Matthew Stafford look? Is he moving around okay? How's his arm? Does it look like there's any sort of ill effects? And, you know, one of the other guys we'll be watching, obviously, is TJ Hawkinson, who's coming off the ankle injury. But we'll get more into that probably for Monday's show. One other thing I wanted to hit on was if you went on ESPN today, again, you might have seen a story about the teams that going from worst to first and the best possible potential teams that could go from worst to first. And, you know, the Lions are one of those teams. It was an ESPN Plus story, so that would be where that was. But, yeah, uh, they are actually ranked as the number one team by Aaron Schatz to potentially go from worst to first. He has them as a 27.5% chance of winning the NFC North and a 42.9% chance of making the playoffs, which if you think about it, that's not too bad. So basically there are four teams in the division. They're saying that they have better than a one in four chance of winning the NFC North. Remember, this is a team that hasn't won the NFC North since 1993. Jeff Okuda wasn't even born. Half of the Lions probably were not even born the last time the Lions won a division title. And they're saying that there's a better than a quarter chance that Detroit will do that. I'm not totally sold on that. As you heard Mina and I talk on Monday, not to go back and harp on that podcast. But we think that it's going to be a tough division. A whole lot of like maybe 9-7, and 8-8 eight and eight in that division. Unless Aaron Rodgers goes on his scorched earth tour. Uh, in my opinion, I think every team is pretty close. They have their clear flaws, the Lions being their pass rush, some major questions on defense, some obvious questions with coaching. And every other team has their issues. The Bears offense, who knows what you're getting there. The Packers have major questions at receiver and I think somewhat on defense. The Vikings are breaking in a whole bunch of new players and I think have some offensive questions outside of Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. So it's going to be a really competitive division. And I'm really curious to see how all of that goes. But yeah, he has them as the number one team that could go from worst to first. But he does write in here, and I quote, this doesn't mean we're projecting a great season from the Lions. Our mean projection for the Lions has them as a very average team. We're high on the Lions because our mean projection, mean projections have every team in the NFC North as a very average team. 
all four teams in the division, somewhere between 23% and 27% of our simulations. So kind of backs up what I just said that I think the, the NFC North could be one of the tougher divisions, but mostly because it's a division full of very parity-driven average NFL teams this year. And if certain breaks go the Lions' way, which they did not go the Lions' way a season ago, so law of averages say they might this year, then the Lions might really have a shot in the division. Obviously, the last thing I wanted to hit on today is what's going on in college football. Big Ten, Pac-12 announced that they postponed their seasons. That goes on top of before when the Mountain West did and the MAC did. UMass also postponed their season. So this is going to get really interesting for the NFL, and here's why. Uh, first off, from a scouting perspective, and if you remember back in February, I wrote a very long piece on what the life of a scout is. That was already going to be drastic, so a lot of the work they were going to have to do would either be at games, potentially, if they could go, or at home and on Zoom calls over the phone, very similar probably to what the media has been doing with Zoom calls, and trying to just figure out as much as you can and work off a tape and really work off a lot of 2019. Well, now, without any games to go off of in at least two conferences and the way things are headed, who knows if it's going to be more by the time we're talking tomorrow. You know, it's going to be a tough deal for scouts. You're going to have to really rely on 2019 film. You're going to have to rely on how good your scouting is, how good your sources are, how good you feel about players. And a lot of times you're going to be relying on year-old tape for players who are still growing. That's going to be really, really difficult. It could be a situation where next year's NFL Combine and next year's Pro Days or however this works out in the spring, which who knows at this point, right? I mean, we're going week by week here, even hour by hour, day by day, are going to maybe become more important than ever because they're going to be more baseline testing and they're going to be more, hey, I trusted what I saw on film, but what does this guy look like now? Did he stay in shape? Did he slack off? I think for some players... It could end up being a positive if you show, hey, even though I didn't play, this is how serious I took it. I'm actually in better shape and I'm better. I actually improved even though I didn't play for a year. I, I'd be very curious all of a sudden if you see more quarterbacks maybe throw at next year's combine because you're not going to have seen them for a year. So your Trevor Lawrence is of the world, assuming he comes out, or maybe Justin Fields is of the world. You know, you haven't seen them play for a year. You want to make sure everything's still working, everything's still right. And granted, you might still do that at private workouts or at pro days, but I think it could make the combine much more valuable from a scouting perspective than it has been in the last few years when a lot of times it's just a confirmation situation. And obviously, it could make something like, say, the Senior Bowl or the East-West, you know, the, sorry, the, you know, some of the Shrine game and some of the other games that happen, if those end up, taking off and happening in January, that could make them even more valuable where all of a sudden some of those top seniors might have passed the senior pass on the senior bowl before. Maybe they won't do that now because it's a chance to show, hey, look how good I am. Look where I stand with these other guys. And that tape might even become more valuable than it's ever been. And we all know that the Lions really valued it last year when they were at the senior bowl. So that's one thing to think of from an NFL perspective. Uh, another thing to think of it is what this could do to the schedule. And, you know, it's been rumored and talked about on Twitter. And to me, it would make a lot of sense. And again, this is me just putting on my, like, commissioner cap. And I would try and maybe put some games on Saturdays if I could. 
throughout the year. Maybe you kick that Thursday package to a Saturday package if the networks are willing to agree to it because you know, all of a sudden you can you have you can maybe own the entire weekend from a sports perspective. And it also the ancillary benefit there could be you don't have to worry about rushing players out for Thursday night games. You don't necessarily have to worry about the quality of your football on Thursday night, plus COVID testing, plus if say there's a positive COVID test and that team's playing on a Thursday night, that gives players more time to to maybe get back to see if there are false positive to see for contact tracing potential. Like you don't necessarily have to, you know, you're going to maybe miss that practice and you're not going to be able to play in that Thursday game. That would give maybe some of those players a chance to play. That would make a ton of sense to me if the league was willing to do it and if the networks were willing to do it. So that's going to be something to watch as well. It'll be really interesting to see if all of college football goes away or the majority of it, say everybody except like the sec goes away and goes to the spring, then, you know, maybe the NFL considers that. Maybe they, they see the value there. Or maybe they don't. Maybe they really want to stick with Sundays and they don't want a national spotlight more games. Or maybe the networks still want that. But, I mean, let's be honest, every network, including the player I work for and CBS, and yeah, everybody's going to be looking for, for games and for inventory, much like they were in March when all sports were canceled. Well, guess what? There's going to, you know, college football takes up, Saturdays, you go on, you go on CBS, you go on Fox, you go on, you know, even NBC with with the Notre Dame games. You go, you know, obviously on on ESPN. You go on FS1, and it's wall to wall college football on almost every channel. So, you know, people are gonna be looking for for holes to fill. So it'll be really interesting to see how the NFL handles that. And obviously, there's precedent when college football hasn't happened in December. Games go to Saturdays. They go on NFL Network. They'll go on ESPN. Maybe they'll go on CBS or Fox. So you could maybe see that again. So that's going to be something I'm going to be looking for over the next few weeks is does the NFL, if college football really does pull completely out, do they maybe look to fill that void in the sporting calendar in the fall? And I did ask Deron Harmon this question today, and we'll end it on this. I asked, well, does the NFL – still playing even if college football cancels does that change how you really think about the nfl and whether they should play so i asked him about that and this is basically what he said quote no not at all i mean i think obviously when we look at the situations the nfl has a lot more resources and money to be able to protect its players we're talking about 32 teams and in division one there's 100 plus teams and only what 20 teams or football teams or any teams or athletic departments are actually making money so it's hard to be able to go through all the precautions and safety measures that we're able to do when you don't have that kind of resources and money and he's right by the way, he said, and his alma mater, Rutgers, had their season postponed this week. He called postponing college football, quote, a tough decision to make. But Deron Harmon's right in terms of the resources. I wouldn't say that the number is that low in terms of revenue-producing college football programs. It's much higher than that. But he's not wrong when it comes to resources. Most programs don't have the resources to pull the type of testing that the NFL is doing, that other sport like the NBA is doing, the NHL is doing. Because it's expensive per test. It is not a cheap cost per test. And in college football, especially, and in other college sports, your rosters are bigger. College football, you might be testing 90, 100 guys plus coaches every day. That's more than an NFL team is potentially 
testing per day. And then you add all of the non-revenue sport athletes on top of that in the fall who probably would need similar type of testing, whether it's your soccers or your field hockeys. That's a lot of testing that maybe you just don't have those resources on top of a bunch of other factors. So, uh, you know, if it's really about safety in some ways, it makes sense why I think the Big Ten and Pac-12 would go through with what they did and postpone the football season. And we'll see how that affects maybe the NFL schedule and kind of what happens with the rest of college football as we kind of go this week. But I will say this, when I was watching today in the middle of the afternoon, or sorry, Tuesday in the middle of the afternoon, uh, as the Big Ten and Pac-12, it's just coming down one after the other. It definitely reminded me of like the middle of March when all of a sudden every five minutes something else was being postponed and canceled. And every day felt like five years in terms of sports being postponed and schedules going crazy. And I I remember all of that very, very well. And it'll be interesting to see what happens here on Wednesday when it comes to college football. I want to thank my sponsors, as always, NFL Sunday Ticket, Deal Dash, Bet Online, Regents Field, and Blue Wire Postings Podcast. Thanks, as always, to my producer, David Woodley. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Make sure you go and check out the Barry Sanders story today on ESPN.